Welcome to Global Brains, the podcast, where we interview AI experts, thought leaders, business executives, as well as young talent all over the world to demystify AI and discuss the latest trends in business and beyond. Our goal is to make AI understandable and accessible to everyone. So let's get started with your host, Michael Burkhart. Welcome to episode seven with Neil Shahota, who is an IBM master inventor, a United Nations AI expert, a professor at UC Irvine, a mentor in various accelerator programs, and together with the UN, he's a founding member of the Artificial Intelligence for Social Good Committee. He's currently writing a book titled Uber Yourself Before You Get Codec, a modern primer on AI for the modern business. We talked about AI for social good, commercializing while doing good, how to overcome challenges with data gathering, and how blockchain technology might help here. Lastly, we briefly discussed skill sets that are going to be important in the next few years. So as always, enjoy. Welcome to Global Brains podcast, uh, Neil, and thank you very much for making the time. In my pleasure, Michael. Glad to be here. Thanks a lot. Before we dive into it, Could you give us some background information on how you got into AI and what are you working on at the moment? I'd be happy to. Um, you know, I, I, to be honest, I'd say it's, it's kind of an accident. Um, like, like a lot of people I, I've met throughout the years have been very successful. They said they kind of found their place uh, by accident in that they were more interested in, you know, opportunities and trying to do new things, innovative things. Um, I went up in this whole sphere in that about 11, 12 years ago, business intelligence was really starting to pick up as a hot trend. And a lot of people thought that the machine was providing some great insight, and it actually wasn't. Uh, business intelligence was a lot of great tools that help you collect data, store it, allows people to slice and dice it any way they want, and then create these nice reports. And I started thinking to myself, well, why couldn't a machine actually come up with insights? And so I wound up uh, developing a series of patents around uh, like enterprise intelligence and what we now call like machine intelligence, machine learning. And at the time, I was working for IBM, and I was actually trying to turn those into a product when there was a little research project going on saying that they were interested in some of the, in the patents and they wanted to use them, and that was IBM Watson. Mm. And so I wound up getting into Watson before there was officially a, a Watson and uh, found the experience great, helped build out the whole ecosystem and you know, help enable and empower people to develop AI solutions. That's a very interesting path. And when was it you said it's 10, 11 years ago, you basically started working on, um, let's call it data projects. That's, that, that's right. I think, you know, technology has become, you know, a driver, but I think technology has actually always been here. If you think about it, fire was a great innovation. The wheel is mm -hmm. a great innovation. Even the ladder, I think it's just that, Technology is happening, or technology changes are happening faster and faster. And suddenly, with the ability to start collecting a lot of data, this whole field of big data started to explode. And that kind of led to the driver of analytics, business analytics, predictive analytics, prescriptive analytics. And that became a precursor for machine learning and natural language processing, and then the evolution of 
we now know as AI. Mm. So now you gave a definition of what AI is. And as we today focus on AI for social good, how would you personally define AI for social good? That's a great question. AI for social good is using tech, the technology to drive, um, give back community service, societal type of value. You know, a good example of that is the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs. Things like, you know, zero hunger, gender equality, protecting life on land, on sea, you know, healthcare access, smarter cities. Using the technology to try and drive some of these goals, what I call like AI for social good. You can obviously commercialize, you know, as well, but you know, I really encourage people to think about commercializing and doing social good at the same time. Mm -hmm. Because with social good, we're not just necessarily helping people, but I very much believe that a rising tide lifts all boats. And so we're really trying to make the world a better place for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have some powerful tools like AI and blockchain and IoT where we can actually make these goals a reality. My question is, how do you build successful AI-related products or solutions in the AI for social good realm compared to traditional commercial products, let's say? Um, because the approach is different. And um, what, where do you see the main challenges there? As in companies, in corporates, you usually have the data. And with AI, with machine learning, you need data in order to build solutions. And in the AI for social good realm, There are data gathering challenges. Um, maybe people don't have the expertise to build on these, uh, to build these solutions them, themselves. How, how do you see uh, the approach of, of build solutions in this area? So you bring up a couple of really good points, Michael. I actually don't think the approach is different. Mm -hmm. I think the outcome, outcomes being sought are a bit different, but the challenges are actually the same in both. So let me start with the approach. Whether it's for commercialization or social good or both, the approach should really be on solving the problem or solving you know, a problem. Uh, too many people think that the technology in itself is the, the solution. The technology is a tool. Think of it like a hammer where we can use it to build something or tear it down. Right? So it's all about how we wield it and having the right domain expertise and the focus on, hey, we want to solve this problem and this is the outcome we're looking for. That's the right approach in any of the cases. I think outcomes are a bit different in that for commercialization, obviously, the, the goals revolve around revenue, profitability, market share, whereas you know, social good is, is more about trying to help people and create a better world. And of course, the combination is to, to try and do both. In terms of the challenges, I think actually the challenges exist in both places. What I've seen in my experience is the two big challenges with AI. One is, do you have the data, do you have the content? And the second one actually revolves around training. So in terms of the data, um, It can be quite challenging. If you think about healthcare, right? Whether you want to do commercialization or you want to do social good, 
a lot of organizations right now are reluctant to share their data. They believe that there's a lot of value to it. And as a result, they're hesitant about sharing it, or if they want to, they want to license it for what might be costly fees. And so that obviously creates a barrier. So you think about all the clinical trials going on, all the healthcare research, there's some duplication of efforts because people don't know what other organizations are doing. And so we may not be optimizing or making the most efficient use of our resources. Now, if we had one you know, universal repository where people were just to share the information, obviously stripped of PHI, personal health information, it might fuel faster developments in terms of medicine and healthcare. I know that several organizations around the world have tried to endorse this type of a model and try and put something together. I know that the World Health Organization and Apple and IBM are, are big proponents of that, but that's a barrier whether you want to do commercial or you want to do social good. The second challenge is around the training. A lot of people see have the idea that somehow most things. You think of it as a three-year-old kid and that every, if you ask you to do something new, you have to give it some basic rules on how to make decisions, explain some conceptual items to it so that it can try doing things, then you correct it. So while machines can learn very quickly, it's our people time that tends to be the constraint. So we only obviously have much time to help, especially when you have smart domain experts that have, you know, the regular work to do. So, you know, using my healthcare example again, like teaching an AI about cancer and cancer research and trying to get the AI to help, you know, find a cure for cancer, you have to have some very smart people that know that space. And because they're already doing other work, their, their time tends to be limited. So again, whether it's commercial purposes or whether it's social good purposes or both, access to their time is, is constrained. So it's, it slows down how quickly we might be able to do something or they may not even be available, meaning that it's become just a complete barrier. Getting back to your first point where you were talking about issues with data and issues with trust And um, a few months ago, in, in one of your talks, you were mentioning that you see a lot of potential in blockchain for solve some of these problems. Do you have any concrete examples where that could be applied in the near future? Uh, that's a good question, Michael. Um, I, I, I do. I, I think actually blockchain can be very much a powerhouse in terms of solving the content problem, especially for, for AI. So there's, there's two examples that actually come to mind. So one, again, building on my healthcare example, mm -hmm. if people actually had their own health chain, right, and again, it could be stripped of PHI, not only does that accelerate the, the access to care and they don't have to worry about, uh, you know, primary care physician getting the right, you know, results, x-rays, MRIs, whatever it might be to a specialist, right, if they had the chain, they could just share it, but People could elect to share their chain, again, stripped of PHI, to that, you know, larger body of open knowledge to try and, you know, drive accelerated uh, growth in medical research and healthcare research. So it could be a huge, it could be a huge problem solver in terms of solving the data challenge for AI. The, the second example that I see and I'm a big proponent of is that I actually have proposed the idea 
of using blockchain for AI training validation. Mm-hmm. One of the big concerns these days is if AI is doing more and more and making recommendations, potentially even making decisions, how do we know it was trained properly? How do we know that it's been you know, cleansed of bias? And I think we can actually use block where, again, obviously stripping out you know, maybe people's names, that kind of stuff, but say, hey, you know, this is the kind of resources or you know, high-level view of how the training was to show that we try to bring in a diverse perspective or we try to strip things out. Maybe familiar with the story of Google Vision, where you know they're using their Google AI to do visual recognition on like pictures, and it's a it's a really powerful tool. Most of the time, it does a great job. But a while ago, there was a bit of a challenge in that Google Vision did a great job of recognizing white men, but not recognizing women or other nationalities or ethnicities. Mm-hmm. And it's believed the reason for that was the the people that built, tested, and trained the AI were mostly white men. And so I don't think it was by design. I don't think it was meant to you know be discriminatory. I think it's one of those inadvertent biases just based on the people working on it. And it's those subtle things that could cause big problems down the road. So if we had a chain showing, you know, how this thing got trained and some general knowledge about the people involved, again, no, not necessarily names, but you know, as a pool, we might have actually been able to pick that out and realize, oh, you know, the, the train was actually not diverse. It wasn't done by a diverse enough people. We need to fix that. Okay. So health chain, you said. Is, is that something that is already um, being worked on or is that... A concept or an idea that you came up with, um, or are there actual projects going on on health chains? So, right now, I would call it still an, an idea. I actually know of a couple organizations that are looking to do that, mm. but they haven't quite started yet. So they're they're actually consolidating, called consolidating data and things, but they're thinking about how do you design that kind of chain mm. and. Unfortunately, the blockchain technology as it is right now, you know, it's it's still a little bit immature and requires a little more development because right now it doesn't scale that well and there's a bit of a security concern. So I think until the the core technology improves, developing that chain may not make sense quite yet. So you mentioned healthcare as one positive example for AI for social good. In addition, what are uh, positive application areas from your perspective, things um, or problems that can be solved in the short term? So I'll throw out maybe a bit of an unusual example, waste management. So if you, if you actually think about what's going on and that we're generating a lot of waste, a lot more waste, um, you know, the there's like plastic island, unfortunately, floating around the Pacific. There's huge landfills. You know, more and more like devices, mobile devices, laptops being used, just being thrown away. It's adding, unfortunately, toxic chemicals into the environment. <laughs> We can actually use AI to help help us deal with some of these problems and maybe even reduce the amount of waste we're generating. Mm. So there's a company, if I remember correctly, called Bin E, where they basically have developed a smart trash bin, and so. 
again, using like recognition, when you throw something away, it can actually classify it as a recycle and then put it in the appropriate slot. Mm-hmm. So that, that's one way that to use AI to try and help with waste management. Another is to actually try and leverage AI tools to see, given the waste that we have of producing, can we do something else with the waste rather than just throw it away? In fact, could we convert some of that to energy? Is there, you know, maybe some natural gas or something that we might be able to extract? And if so, is it enough and conducive enough or cost-efficient enough to actually do something like that? Another another area I see automated AI use being done right now is actually in education, where people are looking for, like, AI tutors or even AI career counselors so that students have additional resources, especially after school hours, to help coach them and guide them through their academic career. Let us talk about education. Imagine you'd be in college, again, studying something related to AI, and being the person you are right now with the experience you have, what skills would you acquire, um, or what tips would you give to the upcoming AI talent um, in addition to pure technical expertise. I know that you studied math and political science. You bring in the technical expertise and also um, behavior science and you learn more about human relations in political science as well. Um, so I'd be curious for a person who is studying something related to AI at the moment, what additional skills and areas should the person look into? That's a great question, Michael. I, I think there's two key focal areas beyond the technology. One is the like the critical thinking and problem solving side. You know, with, with AI, especially doing more like low level administrative type of tasks and it's freeing up our time, we need to be able to do more complex thinking and more higher level type of tasks. Or I should say more complicated tasks. So that means we have to really become great problem solvers. And that's not just something you can get by reading a book. It means actually trying things and, you know, even some philosophical thinking, like thinking, really thinking out of the box about possibility. The second area is the soft skills, like communication, facilitation, collaboration, negotiation. We're going to live in a world where we're going to be just a lot more teamwork, more, more agile type of development for things. But the key thing is really going to be doesn't matter how smart you are or what great, you know, disruptive ideas you might have, if you cannot quantify the value and if you cannot communicate the value, it'll never go anywhere. Uh, you know, a, a good example of this is if you think of Kodak, they were like the kings of film for a hundred years. You know, they own over 90% of the market share, if I remember correctly. And today they're bankrupt. And, you know, people say, well, the digital camera is what, you know, ultimately was their downfall. They were slow to embrace it in the mid-90s. They thought it would be a fad. They didn't want to give up film, and this is where they are. But the digital camera was actually invented by Kodak in 1976. Hmm. A Kodak engineer named Steve Sassoon actually invented the camera. And, of course, while it was rudimentary, right, I'm not sure that he or his team or his manager, whoever it might be, could have really articulated the value. I understand that Kodak looked at it and they were 
and my kind of was the film business that chose not to pursue it. But if they could have articulated the value in the long term, what might have happened, Kodak actually might be the king of digital, right? <laughs> they, had a, they had the technology 20 years before everybody else. And could you imagine where we might be in the digital age today if that had started then? So I cannot underscore enough that, it, again, it doesn't matter how smart you are. If you don't understand the value you're creating and you can't explain the value to people, you're not going to get very far. Hmm. Let's talk about your book. So you're writing a book and I would be very curious if you can give some background information and why did you make the decision to, to write a book? Uh, I'd be happy to, Michael. Uh, it's something I've been actually thinking about for a couple of years and, and just you know going out and trying to help organizations understand what AI is and what it might mean and what they could develop. You know, I, I've learned that, uh, you know, people have gotten much better at kind of the awareness, right? And there's still a lot of fear and concern, and I get that. And I'm, I'm very much about trying to empower people. I, I want them to realize this is not this is not necessarily a threat, but could be a great opportunity for them. And so, you know, I finally said, I, I just got to do it. And so working on a book, which... I kind of call the, the lay person's AI. It's it's not so much just what is AI, like uh, understanding of what it is and what it might be able to do, <clears throat> but also tackles, I think, the questions that people have that no one really addresses. Like, what what is the opportunity here, right? How, how do you address the fears, concerns? What is the opportunity What can people actually do with it to help themselves, their families, their communities, their companies, nonprofits, society as a whole? And what's the future really going to be like, right? How are they going to be impacted by all this and how do they get ready for this? Or how can they actually drive the future? And so that, that was really the purpose of my goal was, um, you know, understanding and enablement. And I want to, people to realize that this doesn't have to be something you, you know, you're afraid of. It can be, actually be a great tool to actually help you. And I'm lucky enough in that I know a lot of great people and to come and share their stories about what they've been able to do with AI and some of the hurdles they overcome. And a lot of the stories are by people that are not technology people, right? They're just regular people. You know, they might be good in healthcare. They might be good at law. They might be good at finance or marketing or community service or, you know, trying to help underserved school children. But these are really sharing some of their stories to show, you know, everybody out there that, hey, you could actually do something. You don't have to be a really smart guy like uh, Elon Musk, for example. You know, just the quote-unquote regular people can actually do things. And that's my main takeaway is that I want people to feel like they have more control over their destiny and they can actually help shape this future. And when you think about the future, I know it's very difficult to predict the future. I think at the end, nobody can really say what is going to happen in 10, 20, 30 years. But how would you draw a future scenario? How should the world look like in the realm of AI in 10 to 20 to 30 years um, on a high level? How should it be leveraged? And what should be the connection of people towards AI? Well, that's a great question, a really hard one, Michael. Um, change is just happening so fast, I, I don't know if we can even predict five years out. Mm -hmm. 
right? If we, we walk back 10 years, no one would have predicted Uber or like Bitcoin, and here they are today. What, what I do know, looking 10 years out from now, I feel very confident that at least 90% of every product or service is going to have some AI connection to it, have some AI engine to it. I think we're going to live in a vastly more interconnected, intelligent world. And I think this is going to open up new opportunities for us as people. It's going to create whole new industries, new types of jobs. At the same time, you know, so we know some jobs will go away. But I, I think what we're really trending towards is human-machine integration, that we're going to use machines not just only as tools but as more integral parts of ourselves. We're already seeing that these people are experimenting with surgery successfully where they're able to put digital cameras in a blind person's eyes and transmit the image in. They're already working with artificial limbs where on, on the stump of the body it can detect the signals being sent and actually manipulate the limb. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we might actually become more human with AI. It might actually empower us and free us up to actually become more human, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to live in a more creative and even artistic future because with this extra time that we have and we're doing this more you know, creative, high-level type of thinking, I think our imagination is going to turn into innovation. So I can really see things getting fueled like faster than light travel and spatial exploration and great advances in healthcare that we're actually going to create a much better world and get more in tune with ourselves as people. That's what I think we'll be in about 30 years. Mm-hmm. So in order to achieve that, we need to restructure our educational system. Do you see any interesting initiatives in this area? Well, that's an interesting question. I, I, I know there's movements in some academic institutions mm-hmm. and they're thinking about the future of work and what should be taught. And I know some others where the the progress, I'll call, has been slower. I, I, I think it's it's a challenge. I think we know that I think the big challenge is that a lot of people think it's, it's kind of the far future, that this is, you know, 15 to 20 years away when in reality it might be five years away. Hmm. And I think because of that mindset, people aren't moving as quickly as we probably should. Uh, I've, I've seen some institutions, you know, I can't, I can't name names yet, but like, for example, there's a very prominent law school where <clears throat> they asked me to introduce them to this company that created an AI associate lawyer. And they thought maybe, you know, we should learn some legal tech tools, make our law students look better for the big firms. The dean met with them. And after that meeting, the dean realized that the whole nature of the work is going to change. The dean's just like, this isn't just a tool. What they're doing is going to change the nature of the work. What we're teaching our students, the dean said, is going to become obsolete in six years. We need to start thinking about what work the students will be doing, the skills needed, and modernize our curriculum for that. So I think we have a unique opportunity where we can help that future workforce get the right skill sets, and we can retrain a good chunk of the existing workforce. But that runway to do it is getting shorter and shorter. 
I, you know, I, I know that people don't like change, and that's it's a natural resistance, and I know that people think it's the far-off future. But if you look at what happened in, like, with the manufacturing industry in the 60s and 70s in the United States, a lot of people lost their jobs because they were shipped overseas, but we had the opportunity to retrain those people, and we didn't do it. And we wound up leaving, you know, a whole slew of workers essentially behind because of that. I don't want to see that happen again. So I think we need to have some good support, good champions to really drive this type of change in our educational system. I don't think it's that people don't want to do it or they're not thinking about it. I think they don't realize this, you know, fully a sense of urgency that, you know, we have a lot of time, but in fact, we probably just have a little time to make this change. Mm. So we need even more communication and be able to create more awareness and um, yeah, connect all the still existing silos on, on, the, on the world. Um, yep. Okay, so we have been talking about the future. Let's talk about um, what are you working on at the moment? What are some things that keep you excited? Um, some ongoing projects in the next couple of months? Well, I, in addition to the book, I am actually... Uh, continue my work with the United Nations. So I, I helped them launch the AI for Social Good initiative. Um, again, build awareness, understanding, enablement, empowerment for people along the sustainable development goals. And so back in May, we actually had our, our second AI for Social Good summit. And from that, we actually were able to spin out 22 projects mm -hmm. where we're using AI Uh, to help fulfill the SDGs. So hoping to try and drive that, always looking for new projects along that vein, getting ready for our next AI summit next May, where you know people will start showcasing some of the work that they've done. But also, you know, going out and trying to help, you know, nonprofits and NGOs understand what they might be able to, to do with emerging technology like AI. Unfortunately, we're living in a time where resources and funding is shrinking. So how can we do more with less? As well as, you know, going out and encouraging companies, corporations, and entrepreneurs to think about not only how can you commercialize, but could you also do social good at the same time? So try to build that mindset. I would say those are some very, very good final words. We are running over time, actually. I mean, I have many, many more questions, but I would say we move that to maybe after the summit in May. And I think a lot of things have been happened until then. And maybe we can do a second episode. That would be awesome. I would love to, Michael. Okay, perfect, Neil. Thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Hey, and thank you. And I hope this was helpful for everybody. For sure. And to all the listeners, thanks for joining us today and stay tuned for the next episode. This episode of Global Brains, the podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more insights and the latest trends in the AI world, always aiming to make AI accessible to everyone. Also, don't forget to rate and review so that we can continue to bring you the best content. If you work in the AI field or want to, join our community by following the link in the description. See you in the next episode.